Greetings, friends, and great to be with you. Sam Rajofsky here, your host of the What's Right Show, powered by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234. All right, there are two stories right now that are uh, percolating in the news. Uh, Two big stories being talked about and discussed. I think they're very closely linked which was why I'll bring them up both now and take uh, them apart for you. Uh, The first story, of course, uh, is the one I teased today in the promo for the program, and that is uh, the Atlantic uh, magazine. Emily Oster, uh, in an article published yesterday, said that we ought to declare a pandemic amnesty that those of us who are, well, still upset about how things turned out in the last two years, we need to let it go. Now, I will get into this, of course, in, in great depth, but the other article that I think is very important and far less, is getting far less attention, unfortunately, even though it ought to, is one that came out yesterday in The Intercept. And this article put together by a a couple of reporters, Lee Fang and Ken Klippenstein, discusses uh, what the Department of Homeland Security is doing as to social media and online content. And we call this, of course, this is their uh, broad program against disinformation, but really what we have here is the first real concrete evidence of government censorship. Now, how are these two articles uh, related? Well, of course, a tremendous amount of what they want amnesty on, right? They want amnesty because when you read the article, the premise of it is, well, we just didn't know. We were following the information that we had. In fact, in one particular, uh, particularly laughable uh, section of this piece, saying that we ought to f- just forgive all of these tyrants and nags and Gestapo, you know, COVID crazy, insane people, we ought to just, you know, forgive them, give them a pass. This is my favorite line in it, quote, the people who got it right... I don't know, people like us, I think is what she's referring to, quote, for whatever reason, may want to gloat. She goes on to say, of course, that we shouldn't gloat. Now, setting aside the fact this is not about gloating, the people who got it right, yeah, we got it right because why? We used our common sense, and we sought out information from other channels, not just CNN, MSNBC, and whatever the thought police at the Department of Homeland Security, wanted us to know. It is precisely because of COVID. I give that as a principal example of why this mission by our government to censor speech is so important. By the way, it's so, it's so wrong, and, and, and combating it is so important. 
Now, I, let me, I'm a lawyer, of, of course, uh, so I always bring this back to the law. I saw the segment where Lee Fang from The Intercept was on with Tucker Carlson last night talking about this article. Tucker, uh, it was a great job bringing, the, uh, bringing this information to public view, but he's not talking about the legal aspect of it, which I think is very important. And the, the, the fundamental thing about the First Amendment, you have, people throw it around. Oh, I've got my First Amendment rights to speech. It's very important to understand what the essential black letter law of the First Amendment is, and that is that the government can't restrict or compel a content of speech. There's very few, very limited exceptions to that. So the rule is, again, the government cannot tell you what to say. That's what I mean by compel speech, but most often understood they cannot prevent you from speaking, and it has to do with content-based restrictions. Those are the ones that are held to the highest levels of constitutional scrutiny. And by that, of course, the exception of being is time, place, and manner, you can, you know, gov- government can basically say, well, you need a permit. If you want to have a, a protest or, or, you know, lead a, you know, you got to pull a permit because you can't have it at 11 o'clock at night in front of somebody's house in a residential neighborhood. And those restrictions are also constitutionally you know, scoured, but they, they're, they're certainly, the government has more broader powers there. I'm giving that to you as a primer because understanding the magnitude of what is being reported in the story about the DHS's, well, it's called CISA, C-I-S-A. And this is the organization that is monitoring what is being said on the internet Right, And so this is the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force under CISA uh, is how this all got to be. I'll take you through the history in a moment. But the government, essentially what we found out, and this is the most important thing. If you go to the article uh, on the um, website for The Intercept, you can click on various source material. And the source material, I'll tell you, is actually the best part about the article. They're backing everything up that they're writing with real evidence. As a lawyer, I appreciate this. Now, for years and years, what did they tell us about things being censored on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram? What did they tell us? Well, boo-hoo, it's a private company. They can, they can, it's their sandbox. And many of us conservatives uh, for a time, me included, said, well, yes, you know, this is a conundrum because we're First Amendment people, but we also understand uh, that private property rights are essential in our society. So there's a, there's a conflict there. Is, in fact, the Internet the new public square? Is Twitter a place where, albeit private property, a, you know, an important dialogue is taking place? And I've talked at length about this. And the ultimate conclusion I drew both as a lawyer and as a conservative is that, in fact, yes, Twitter is the new public square. A lawsuit brought by uh, a guy named Alex Berenson precisely because he was kicked off of Twitter for his remarks on COVID and expressing concern about the efficacy of the vaccines highlighted this. And it was that legal winning argument that ultimately saw him reinstated and Twitter caving, the attorneys over Twitter caving because they didn't want to create a, you know, a constitutional legal precedent. But we all understand the difference between a private entity saying you can't say that. Like, for example, here at Salmon Ash, I can't tell people, 
you know, I, I, I can tell somebody, no, you cannot say that to a client. I can limit speech, private company. When the government comes in and says you can't say that, that's where you have a constitutional problem. So what is such a, you know, so monumental about what was released in this story? Facebook created, Meta now, created a backdoor, a portal for the government to go in and report, flag posts they didn't like. Now, you're probably wondering, Sam, why is that so epic? Well, it's epic because now the government is literally directing to a private company what speech to ban, right? What speech to, what tweets to delete. And by the way, on what basis are they asking a tweet to be deleted? Or this in, in a particular example is Facebook. So a post on Facebook. What are, what are they what are they doing it on? They're not, they're not complaining that it's time, place, and manner. They're not complaining that you posted something at 2 a.m. <laughs> That's not the issue. Or that your post was loud and was waking up people in a residential neighborhood. Although some people react to certain things posted online violently. So anyway, no, the complaint was what? It was based on the substance it was based on the content of what was being written in those posts. And so now the government has been caught red-handed. And I mean red-frickin-handed. Directing private companies what speech to censor based on the content of that speech. This is a First Amendment violation. Now, if you don't think that I am... If you might think that maybe, Sam, you're over-exaggerating the importance of this, um, fine. But I'll tell you that, in fact, even the ACLU today said that based on the information in this Intercept article that what the government is doing is unacceptable. Even the ACLU of 2022 has finally had enough of this. So, friends, this is an enormously big story. I, I, I'm going to get into it more and uh, here in a moment when we come back because there is an important lesson in all of this. It's a political lesson. We conservatives, we Republicans, when we get elected, we have to be very, and I mean very careful, about the bureaucracies that we create because they eventually, the left will, when they get into office, they weaponize them and they come after us with it. The, the example of the genesis of this CISA group within the Department of Homeland Security is a classic beaming example of this. And I will tell you what I mean by this when I come back. Sam Marjofsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Always great to be with you here. I always tell you I am Nevada's favorite recovering Californian on the mend after almost a lifetime 
the neighboring communist republic. All right. This hour brought to you, of course, by our friends at Salmon Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234. I'm speaking about two articles in the news. Of course, the first one being the uh, plaintive uh, request that we conservatives, it's really targeted at us, I think, but we conservatives declare a pandemic amnesty on all of our mean-spirited friends on the other side of the aisle who were freaking out and doing irrational things because, you know, they just didn't know. And my point is one of the reasons they didn't know is because a lot of this information was throttled on social media. And that goes, of course, then into the other piece that dropped the same day from The Intercept, Lee Fang, Ken Klippenstein writing uh, really a broad indictment of the Department of Homeland Security and their team that polices thought and words in social media under the guise of public safety and battling disinformation. Who passed this uh, act into law? Oh, I'm glad you asked, because this bill was signed in 2018 by then-President Donald Trump. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, was thus formed. A new wing of the Department of Homeland Security devoted to protecting critical national infrastructure. So same year, of course, Trump's DHS secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, creates this uh, task force to respond to election disinformation. What is the context of all that? Well, I'll remind you, Trump is being harassed by all these fanatics in uh, D.C., in Congress, and in the media, that he's in cahoots with Russia and that he won in 2016 because of Russian disinformation. And he's eager to prove everybody wrong. Now, you can't win with these people. We know this now, and hopefully Trump understands this hindsight, of course, being 2020, always, or so they say. But nonetheless, he created this. And the monster only kept growing. In 2019, Department of Homeland Security, still under Trump, creates a separate entity called the Foreign Influence and Interference Branch. It's still there, right? Targeting intelligence about disinformation. In 2020, their focus turns, still under Trump, to matters to include COVID-19. And then what happens? happens. Well, the the keys to the car that was built by Trump gets turned over to Biden, right? And in January 2021, uh, when was that? Oh, I, you know, Biden got sworn in. He became president. In January of 21, they take the keys over, right? And now uh, CISA is replaced, uh, replaces the uh, foreign influence task force with what? Well, it's still there in substance, but it it gets replaced. It has a new name. Misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. And they have definitions for all these. I'm not going to bore you with it. And just like that, snap of my fingers, well, snap of Biden's fingers, they go in there and they take this machine created by Trump and the Trump administration and weaponize it against whom? 
us. Now, I mentioned in the last segment that this particular story is so earth-shattering and damning because it shows that, for example, for Facebook, there is a portal that Facebook created for the government to report on posts that needed to be taken down, flagged. And I'm looking at it. I, I literally have it on my, on my computer. And there is access to it. You have to have a government email. There's certain precautions, right? I guess I couldn't go in it. You couldn't go in it unless you worked for the government and go in and use, this, use the system. But, but this is precisely why this now is a matter of serious constitutional uh, you know, violation because you have the government going after speech it does not like. At the core of all of this is, one, government cannot censor speech based on the content of that speech. And the f- practical you know, aspect of this that I think is, is essential is how does the government define misinformation? And you remember back in, what was it, April, the DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, announces that there's a disinformation governance board. You remember this? And he put that wackadoodle chick in there, Nina Jankowitz, who was a left-wing, is a left-wing fanatic. You know, and even, listen, at that point, even the media was, mainstream media goes, this is not okay. And so they quietly hushed it up. We all thought it went away. Uh Uh-uh. All of this got replaced quietly. In June, with a DHS, Department of Homeland Security Advisory Committee, which included people like Ahu Vijaya Gadi. Yes, the same Vijaya Gadi who was fervently banning people on Twitter and got her A-money money walked out of the building by Elon Musk last Friday. Kate Starbird, a University of Washington professor, drafted a report from that committee to the CISA director calling for an expansive role for the agency in shaping the quote-unquote information ecosystem. This was in June of this year. All of this is going on as we speak. So yeah, I saw this, like I I mentioned earlier, I saw this on Tucker and went into kind of the, the, the thought police aspect of it, but there's so much more to it. And the reason that this is so epic and why I think it will produce meaningful pushback and change is because we have now any any person whose i guess whose uh, words or posts were removed on facebook now has a credible first amendment claim because their speech was limited right by whom by by the government potentially and it opens up all of this all of those uh, you know, communications that were put into these portals, it opens up all that to uh, prying eyes from lawsuits, right? For example, if I was representing somebody who was harmed by this, what we would uh, – first, we'd you know, apply for you know, a, a Freedom of Information Act disclosure, but you could also get it through a lawsuit. You could get it through discovery. And this all, friends, is just the tip of the iceberg, I promise you. More on this is going to come to light. Now, I I do, when we come back, I want to talk to you about this idea 
of a pandemic amnesty. What do you say to these people that made your life a living hell? What do you say to somebody who told you only six people could show up at a funeral, that mourners had to sit, you know, 10 feet apart, that you couldn't visit your dying grandmother, kept your kids home for school two years? What do you say to these people? I have some thoughts when I come back. Sam Rajovsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT back after this. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome to the program. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Rarely wrong, always right. Broadcasting from beautiful downtown Las Vegas on a lovely fall day. Indeed, I got an email from a longtime listener. And um, uh, this is exactly the kind of thing I I keep uh, talking about here. and, And he addresses it. He gave me permission to share this without his name because he's got a lawsuit that apparently is still going on. And here's what he wrote me. Quote, it's neither here nor there, man. I wish I'd had your advice and your message about not shopping for low-price lawyers. OMG. Keep that message going. Cost me and is still not resolved. Disaster. Now, I responded, of course, because uh, I do talk about this extensively here. Our friends at the firm that I co-founded, Sam and Ash, Injury Law, uh, they're not the cheapest lawyers in town because they're the best. And oftentimes people look for a discount. They look for someone who's not going to break the bank. By the way, we get paid at the end of the case if and when Uh, recovery is obtained, so it doesn't come out of your pocket, but nonetheless, people get into the percentages. Oh, that one, that guy's only, he's only 33%. What a deal. And then they find out that to provide a service costs money, and there was an expectation of having, you know, first-class care and then for a third-class price. Now, in this particular uh, client, I've been responding. I had him. I had him tell me a little bit about what was going on, and um, and I'm hoping to uh, to help him out. It's a business matter uh, that's ongoing, and and it's it's a classic example where where you know one lawyer was certainly more money, and uh, and and could have gotten him through it. Uh, he believes a lot faster, and the person he's working on it right now is not being effective at all. So, friends. I was at the car dealership today. I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for my car to come back. I need to get it smogged for my registration, and I'm watching TV, and all the big lawyers in town all advertising how great of a deal they are. Run for the hills because anyone who has to sell their services on the basis of how low cost they are and what a great deal they are are probably not going to deliver you the service that you deserve and expect. Salmon Ash Injury Law. You can reach us at salmonashlaw.com. 
Call us anytime, 702-820-1234. You can text that number, too. Remember, we do have a satellite office in California. A lot of you do travel to California. Things happen. We can help you out there uh, as well. So that's an important thing. And, and I'll give you my email, as I always do here on the program, sam at samandashlaw.com. Please reach out to me. If you ever have a question, any kind of legal concern, you know, you may not need representation, but you may need a question or two answered. Happy to do that at all times. All right. Who remembers COVID? By the way, for some people, I saw pictures from around the country, Halloween yesterday, uh, that there are still people refusing trick-or-treaters because of the COVID pandemic. Yes, correct. People in October of 22 refusing trick-or-treating because of the ongoing pandemic. A number of those posts I saw on social media, I giggled, of course. There are still people who are in total denial about all of this. Fine. But these people now want us to forgive and to forget all the haranguing, all of the extreme positions, all the abuse that was hurled on us. Now, the defense, of course, the argument for an amnesty is we didn't know. Sorry, we just didn't have all the information. Now, part of that problem is that the government at the time, uh, and well into now, we discussed this last segment, uh, you know, they were certainly throttling any misinformation. And a lot of times the misinformation that some of us were putting on the internet ended up being true. We ended up being right and correct because we exercised good judgment. And we thought, I I guess for me, it was a matter of critical thinking. I've shared this many times looking at data coming in in real time. No, we didn't know what was coming at us in March, but by April, we certainly here in Las Vegas had an idea of where the death rates were. We understood that this was something affecting people with you know advanced age, comorbidities, etc. We knew that kids were not dropping dead of this thing, for example. We also knew that the death rates were not nearly as bad as what we expected. Yes, people died, but You know, it was something that could have been addressed by securing and protecting the vulnerable among us and not locking down our entire society, our kids, forcing masks on toddlers, separating us from our loved ones at funerals. I don't know. Maybe we knew pretty early on the death rates among the elderly, for example. I still think that it was criminal what some governors did in this country, sending the elderly to their deaths by putting COVID-infected patients in nursing homes. Andrew Cuomo still has not paid what I believe is a criminal price for his actions. Speaking of funerals, we're all told what? We were all told, hey, you, you know, social distance. You can't, no more than 20 people, 15 people, six people, whatever it was, depending on the jurisdiction. Have to do your funeral on Zoom. And then John Lewis dies. 
and George Floyd. And all of a sudden, we've got packed funerals and no one's in a mask. We couldn't go to church. But BLM protests were allowed to take place right here in Nevada. The only person really fighting for people, churches to reopen was were a few, few lawyers here in town. One of them in particular, Seagal Chatta, who is now running for attorney general. But sure, during the BLM riots, people could stand shoulder to shoulder and be perfectly fine and protected because, you know, I don't know. Again, the government picked and chose when the virus was dangerous and when it was not. Illegal immigration. Hell, did anybody, any of you try to travel during this mess? How about internationally? That was an ordeal. I was one of few people who, the height, I guess, what is it, December of 20, traveled to Europe. I was able to do that because our son was living abroad that year in the Czech Republic. Entering Europe, entering the back to the U.S. What a nightmare and an ordeal of having to prove this, that, and the other. Meanwhile, across the border, no controls. Everyone could just steam right in. Any efforts to curb illegal immigration, racism. So my take on this amnesty thing is they can shove it up their A, money, monies. I'm not giving anybody any amnesty. In fact, my concern is that if we do not hold to account all the people that terrorize us with their crap, it will repeat itself over and over again. My point is, is there has to be accountability. And the reason they're writing this piece right now is because they know Republicans are coming to Congress and they better, I mark my words, I will scorch this incoming class of, of, of majority Republicans, if it materializes, I will scorch them if they do not take the fight to this lunacy that, was, that we were all subjected to beginning in, in early 2020. I remember some fat, inconsequential blogger here in town, but has a following, I guess, so, you know, it is what it is, accused me on Twitter of wanting people to die when I was challenging the lockdowns. I think the tweet, I have it saved somewhere because I knew it's going to come back to, to bite them. It, Las Vegas personal injury attorney Sam Rajovsky wants people to die of COVID. That was the tweet. You know what? F you. You were wrong. You have masked our kids. You kept our kids in school. People, kids committed suicide because of you. Your way of thinking was wrong, and it cost people lives. You're the murderer. And if this sounds harsh, tough. Because we've all had it up to our ears with you people moralizing, yelling at us. How many times were you stopped somewhere? Put your mask up, put your mask up. I was at a radio station here in town. I'm visiting, uh, I think I may have mentioned this to you, visiting a, a, um, another host to do a radio appearance on a sports talk station. No, it was not Odyssey. And this was uh, early stages, masking rules. I don't remember where we were with the masking rules, but I, 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 well, I guess the station required us to have masks. I remember that much. So I had my mask, but I was talking to a friend of mine, 
Scott Gulbranson, who is a tremendous uh, guy, has a uh, silver and black uh, show about the Raiders, really a tremendous uh, sportscaster and, and philosopher king. I, I love Scott. And, you know, we had both of us had our masks down a little bit. And some producer in the, in, in the radio station walks by us and kind of, you know, signals with his, with his own mask to lift up and cover our faces with our masks. We kind of looked at each other like, okay, all right, Mr. Policeman. The guy walks outside and lights a cigarette. Everything you need to know about COVID in the last two years is all embodied in that interaction. Because all of these people, this is a guy who has no problem putting a cancer stick in his, in his mouth 25 times a day. But I am personally responsible for his health. Put your mask up, Sam. Put your mask up. Eh. What the heck is wrong with people? Where did, This brought out the worst. And by the way, make no mistake, these are the same people that collaborated with Nazis. I know this sounds like, <laughs> I'm telling you, my parents grew up in totalitarians. My dad was born during the German occupation. I can say something about this that few people uh, really, I, I tell you, I have it not firsthand, but secondhand from my parents of what that was like. Every regime has its willing, almost giddy collaborators that rejoice in the idea that they will, well, that, that they're going to tell on their neighbors that they gain power from enforcing government rules. They get prestige from it. They love tearing people down. We can never, as a country, revisit this again. And so, no, I do not believe in any amnesty. And yes, I think that the Republicans, should they gain control of the House and hopefully the Senate, bring the weight of Congress to bear upon every person in a position of authority that misuse that authority and terrorizes with this nonsense. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be back in just a few moments. Sam Rajofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back. Sam Rajofsky here on News Talk 840 KXNT, the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism Monday through Friday, 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, my email, as always, you can reach me with any questions, comments, concerns, sam at samandashlaw.com. Yes, I am the Sam uh, of Sam and Ash Injury Law here in town, lawyer and Radio host, father, man about town, and uh, what else am I? I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just a guy, and I am uh, definitely a proud conservative. And I've mentioned many times, uh, significant to that has been my upbringing uh, with parents who taught me about the world that they grew up in. My parents, I mentioned, uh, alluded to it in the last segment born in what is, well, my father actually during the German occupation of Czechoslovakia. My mother born a few years later after the end of the war, but uh, unfortunately uh, during what was then the uh, communist period, 
my parents' country, and they came of age with a guy named Stalin in charge of that part of the world. And so I am acutely aware of what happens when both totalitarian regimes come to power, how that power is abused, how information is manipulated. I am very aware of how things are called one thing, but really the the meaning of it is something totally different. (laughs) Okay? Also aware of what confiscatory government policies economically, what kind of havoc that wreaks on an economy and demotivates an entire nation, in fact, entire region of the world. So we talked a lot today about disinformation. We found out that, of course, the government is actively blocking our tweets, in some cases uh, singling them out. Government employees are picking and choosing which uh, internet posts get deleted, get flagged, and then deleted by the, uh, by the respect, respective company, tech company, operating the platform. But one thing we also need to realize in the context of some of the news that's going on is what is misinformation? Because misinformation is in the eye of the beholder, correct? My parents grew up in a country where the government decided what was true and what was not. Now, you think the truth that the communist government of Czechoslovakia, that was the truth? Of course it wasn't. In fact, there's a great Solzhenitsyn quote about, you know, they lie, we, they lie, they, we know they lie, they know we lie, and yet they continue to lie. And it was in this uh, kind of clip, I, in this thought that I thought of this, I saw this clip circulating about a senior reporter on MSNBC Morning Joe yesterday. Ben Collins is his name. And he was going to town on various uh, theories as to what happened in Paul Pelosi's house. And he was saying, well, you know, they came up with the story that two people were having a lover's quarrel, you know, this over the weekend. We didn't have a lot of information, and people were, I don't know, speculating because our faith in the mainstream media, by the way, is at an all-time low. We don't believe a word they're saying. We don't believe the FBI. And we certainly, you know, you know, don't believe, you know, San Francisco, okay? And that's not our fault as conservatives. That's theirs. They've done nothing to deserve our trust. And so he complains about this, you know, people are retweeting stuff. Donald Trump Jr. posted a picture of underwear and a hammer uh, instead of a Halloween costume for Paul Pelosi. And so this is what Ben Collins goes on to say, and pay careful attention to this because it is frightening. If we don't cut this out right now, not just the normalization of violence, but the idea that reality can't even exist anymore because it cannot catch up to the lies on the internet. I'm not a scholar on authoritarian history, but I've I've read Hannah Arendt, I've read all of these people. Mm -hmm. This is how it gets really bad. This is the start of something that gets really, really bad. If you are getting the guardrails off the truth, where it literally cannot catch up to the lies on the internet because of how the pipes work, how the system works, because of the incentives of the richest people in the world, then that's how you lose your democracy. I couldn't disagree with Ben Collins more. 
The only way you lose democracy, friends, is if you turn over the power to decide what information is true and untrue to the government. That is the last entity that should be a determiner of what information we consume and not consume. Now, the First Amendment, free speech, inevitably brings with it the risk that some information gets out that isn't true. And those ideas have to be allowed to fail in the marketplace of ideas. When this news of Paul Pelosi came out, I thought, well, it's a plausible theory. More information came out. It doesn't appear to be true. We still need more information, and that information will come. And no, you do not sacrifice free speech because you fear political violence. You don't do that. Folks, if you listen carefully and read between the lines, they are taking this incident and others like it and using them to excuse their disgraceful censorship uh, of of us. So this we cannot allow to have happen. Sam Rajovsky here. I'll see you again tomorrow. Have a great day.